When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. Hi, everybody, and welcome to your course on online counseling. In this course, we're going to briefly review the history of online counseling, reasons for online counseling, look at some different methods that you can use in terms of online counseling, Examine the ethics that you need to consider when doing online counseling, because there are some unique aspects that are um, only present in online counseling versus face-to-face -face counseling. And then we'll briefly look at the business aspects of online counseling. Now, some of these things like methods and business aspects are covered in other presentations as well, so we're not going to go super in-depth into those. This will just give you an idea about kind of what you're looking at in terms of um, what your responsibilities will be, the ethical dilemmas, and the methods that you might be able to use if you open an online counseling practice. In the 1970s, several hospitals linked via video feed to provide doctor-to-doctor -doctor consultation. So even back in the 1970s, they, they had telehealth services. Telemental health didn't really start coming along until a lot later. In 2000, 30 years later, the first independent practitioners started making a name for themselves. The 21st century people have begun communicating more by text and instant messages, as is evidenced by a lot of our, sometimes ourselves, but our children, who walk around with portable devices as sort of extra appendages. In 2006, several states passed laws indicating that telehealth must be compensated at the same rate as face-to-face -face services. Again, this is telehealth, not telemental health. Now, telemental health has been coming along, but it's important to understand that telehealth, um, the services that are provided by MDs and psychiatrists, has been approved and accepted a lot longer than telemental health. In 2010, the majority of insurers are compensating for telehealth services, and Florida created a state certification for clinicians that are wanting to provide online counseling or e-therapy. So why would you want to do online counseling well for one you don't have to have a brick and mortar office which can make it a little bit easier it isn't super easy though because you've got to remember they're all of the hipaa and high-tech laws and any notes that you keep still have to be maintained in hipaa compliance even if you have an office at your house 
With online counseling, you can access experts on a particular problem worldwide. Now, again, with medical doctors, they have a little bit more latitude than clinicians do. Clinicians must be licensed, mental health clinicians, um, social workers, marriage and family therapists, must be licensed in the state of which they practice as well as in the state where their client resides. So if you are licensed in Florida and Virginia and you live in Florida, you can treat clients in Florida and Virginia, but you can't treat clients, for example, in Tennessee. Online counseling can be more cost-effective for the practitioner and the patient. Part of this depends on you selecting um, telemental health options that are affordable. There are a lot of different platforms out there for video mental health counseling or video counseling that can be used. And in most cases, insurance will only reimburse for video-based telemental health. However, Looking at the cost is going to be really important. You don't need to be spending a thousand or two thousand dollars a month for a video-based platform if you are a single practitioner. Um, there are a lot of HIPAA-compliant services out there that will allow you to do video chat and and video counseling in a HIPAA-compliant way, and they will sign a business associate agreement with you that run anywhere from thirty-five to eighty dollars a month. So look at that as your, quote, office cost, how much you would pay to have a brick-and-mortar office to rent. The online counseling provides a degree of anonymity, making many people feel more at ease. So if you're working with someone who, for one reason or another, has significant concerns about confidentiality, significant concerns about being seen walking into or out of your office, online counseling may be an option for them that will allow them to access services in a way that is most comfortable for them. With online counseling, you also often have an enduring record. You can record the sessions and save them in an archive somewhere that's obviously HIPAA compliant, um, but you don't have the question of what was said. I mean, it's right there. Yes, you still have to keep notes. You can't just use the video recording of your session as your, quote, psychotherapy notes. But it does provide you something to go back and look at. One of the things I've done with my clients is we will go through, you know, a few weeks, and if there's a particular reason to, we can go back and review prior sessions and look at how far they've come or something that may have changed and give them an opportunity to, you know, evaluate for themselves how their behaviors or their interactions may or may not have changed. Many of the youth of today also prefer e-therapy. We lived on the phone as teenagers. I mean, I remember having the phone hooked to the wall and lying on the floor in the middle of the kitchen. Nowadays, they have cell phones. They have tablets. They have all kinds of other ways to communicate with their friends. They often, and even in school, a lot of students are going to K-12 online public school or online virtual private schools. So a lot of youth aren't used to being in a situation where they're in a, quote, classroom or in a group with a bunch of other people. So it can be a little overwhelming. Now, you can make the argument that they potentially need to develop the interpersonal skills to be in a group like that. However, 
I would make the counter argument when they are in distress, they're depressed, anxious, struggling with addiction, whatever it is, is this really the time to throw another stressor on top of them and say, well, we'll deal with that, but you've got to learn how to deal with people in a group at the same time. Ethically, I think that's a little bit too much to put on people if they're not comfortable with being in a face-to-face -face group in the same room. Some people will consent to a uh, online group meeting where everybody is using video. Now, you can't do those that are very large because it takes up a lot of bandwidth, but that is one way to segue from doing uh, online counseling where they don't have to see everybody else and they don't have to necessarily interact with everybody else at the same time to segueing up to getting them used to doing group type work and online counseling can be a great adjunct to traditional therapy it doesn't have to be your primary means of meeting with a client however um, if you have a client who can't make it for some reason you can use that as an alternative maybe it, there was a blizzard and they can't get out of wherever they're at or their kid is sick and they would otherwise have to count, cancel their appointment. So online counseling does have some flexibility options and it can also provide you a means of touching base with your clients in between sessions, which is important if you use um, protocols like dialectical behavior therapy. Methods, ethics and cultural appropriateness. Not everybody likes the phone. I know I personally, even though I kind of grew up on the phone, I don't like the phone anymore. I will text, I will talk to people face to face, but I have difficulty with the phone, partly because I don't have any nonverbals. Um, so it's hard to know when they've stopped talking and when it's time for me to start talking. Personal preferences. So we want to ask people do you feel comfortable with phone counseling? What are the benefits? To phone counseling well people generally have a phone with them wherever they are or they can get onto a phone and there are still landlines so if the cell service went down for some reason or was overloaded you might be able to reach someone through a traditional uh, landline phone the drawbacks as i said you don't have the nonverbals that you can really read from so you may misinterpret some things and some people just don't like the phone text or i am the benefit is it's more real time if your client texts you you get a notification generally you're probably going to respond right then or within 20 minutes or an hour so it gives you more real-time interaction so if they're in crisis you can prompt them to use skills that you've worked through and I use the term crisis really loosely if they're struggling having a bad day you can help them stop take a breath and figure out which of their new skills they can use in order to start moving forward the drawbacks not only do you not have the nonverbals of you know body language but you also don't have language language so you have emoticons you have typing in all caps sometimes that's all you've got so it's easy to misunder misunderstand what's being said or misinterpret what's being said there needs to be a very clear understanding between you and the client if you're going to text um, about what text what things are appropriate to text about how you handle sarcasm things like that one of my clients whenever they would make a sarcastic comment would put the little emoticon that had the guy sticking his tongue out 
so I always knew when something came across and it was followed by that, that it was meant in a sarcastic tone. You know, that helped me interpret what was going on. Um, text and I am also has to be HIPAA compliant, though. So you can't just pick up Facebook and go, hey, let's talk on Facebook or let's just get some random text app. It has to be encrypted point to point and meet the HIPAA and high tech standards if you are communicating about PHI in any way, shape or form. And this is kind of gray area right now. It's much better to err on the side of being overly cautious because those text chats can be subpoenaed from your internet service provider. They are not technically considered psychotherapy notes. Um, so being aware of that. Video. Obviously, video is probably the gold standard if you're doing online counseling because you can see some nonverbals. If one of you doesn't have a good internet connection, the, there can be a lot of lag between the what the person says and their nonverbals, so their lips are moving and different words are coming out, which can be very disconcerting. You can also have issues with connectivity, um, so being aware of the drawbacks to video counseling. Email. Obviously, everybody, well, almost everybody, has email now. So you can email with your clients. This is probably my least preferred in terms of, quote, counseling because it is so asynchronous. However, um, it's not uncommon for me to give clients an, an assignment to do and tell them to work on it while they're between sessions and then email it to me so I can read it before they get into session. There is a lot of benefit. Again, you need to have a conversation with the client at the outset about what's appropriate for email counseling. You don't want them to email you, hey doc, I'm suicidal, because it could be four hours, eight hours, 12 hours before you check your email. They also... Um, you want to make sure they understand how long it could take you to respond and what you're going to do when you get that email. Are you going to respond and say, thanks, got it? Are you going to respond with another assignment? Or are you not going to respond at all? I would strongly suggest responding at least in some way to acknowledge the fact that you got the assignment or the email that your client sent. Again, it has to be HIPAA compliant. Don't use Gmail. Don't use any email service that will not sign a business associate agreement with your organization. Ethics. It's important to understand who you're talking to and where they are. If you're not looking at them, and even if you are looking at them, if you've got video chat, you need to know their actual physical location so you can make sure that you are performing legally and ethically and not offering services to someone in a state in which you're not licensed. Verifying identity is easier with video. With any other method, you will need to figure out some sort of secret phrase that the two of you have or some other way to verify that it's that person after, ideally, they would have to log into some sort of a secure site with a username and password. So they put in their username and password, they start chatting with you. You ask them what the secret phrase is, so that's double protection. And then you can go on and keep chatting about whatever. It's important to verify identity because you don't want, you know, somebody's spouse or roommate to have gotten their username and password and log on and pretend that they're them and, and get information that they're not supposed to have. 
So especially if you can't see someone through, through video, you need to make sh doubly sure to verify the identity. Assessment can be a little dicey on um, online counseling, unless, of course, you're using video chat. And even then, if your internet connection is not good, it can be really frustrating. If you're in the middle of doing an assessment and the, the internet speed goes way down, so you have um, lack of synchronicity between the person's lips and their words, you may miss a lot of stuff. It could drop out. So you want to talk about how you're going to do assessment. Can it be done online through video chat? Certainly. However, you need to make sure that the client knows ahead of time in the informed consent what that's going to look like, what it's going to entail, and what the backup plan is should the internet drop out for some reason. Treatment issues. A lot of things can be handled through online counseling. Addictions, anxiety, depression, bipolar, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, agoraphobia, and post-traumatic stress disorder have all had clinical trials with online counseling and been shown to be treatable via that method. So there is a lot of um, ability to provide services for the majority of diagnoses that you're going to see in your practice. Um, for addictions, for example, you can provide the counseling if you are in a program that requires the person to have your analyses. Find a national organization or have them find a local organization where they can go in and get urine screens. People get urine screens every day for employment and for workers' compensation. There are businesses that do nothing but urine screening. So you can tell them when it's time to go get a urine screen. And if you're an addictions counselor, you know how to do all the randomization. So verifying identity we already talked about. We also want to talk about who is going to have access to the information. Making sure clients are well aware in the informed consent, who's going to be able to access your records? The therapist, of course. A lot of times the person who does your billing may have access to some of them. And a lot of times the person who does your IT work may have access to those files. Are they going to read them? No, they're not supposed to. But we do need to let them know that there is someone who handles the IT section um, that will have access to the file, the folders where those files are stored. In the informed consent, you need to make a policy for how to handle power or internet outages on your part as well as on their part. So if one of you doesn't have power or internet, how are you going to handle that? How to handle mental health emergencies. And what we're talking about here is someone who's in crisis. They're suicidal, they're homicidal, or they're rapidly decompensating and they know they need services right now. Um, in face-to-face in -face practice, we tell them, you know, if it's that bad, you may need to call the crisis center, go to the local emergency room, call 911. If it's not, doesn't meet the standard of going to the emergency room, what are your policies for working people in in 8, 12, 24 hours? Many clients, many people expect that if you are online, if you have an online presence, that for some reason, magically, you're available 24-7, 365. So if they're in crisis at 2 in the morning, they may expect you to answer your email or answer your text chat if they start texting with you. 
you want to talk with them about how to schedule and reschedule appointments. If they schedule their appointments online and they need to reschedule, do they need to call your office? Is there a method to do it? If it's obvious in the software that you use how to reschedule appointment, that's great. But you do want to make sure that it's put down in the informed consent so they know they're supposed to go back to the website and reschedule their appointment. Payment policies, just like normal in informed consent, what are your fees? What's going to show up on the credit card? Some people don't like having credit card bills that reflect a therapist or a psychologist's name on it. So, you know, what is it going to show up as? Is it going to show up as ABC Counseling or your name or what's that going to look like? This helps not only maintain their confidentiality, if they're concerned about it, but when they're reviewing their credit card transactions, they will know when they come to that transaction that that's from you and they won't do a chargeback, hopefully. Alternate payment methods. If they don't want to use their credit card or they don't have a credit card, can they use checks or money orders and send them to you? Some people would prefer to do that. So how do you handle those? Releases of information. These need to be filled out completely and signed. I personally am not comfortable with having them filling fill out the form completely sign it and then fax me a copy um, that's fine to begin with they can fax me a copy if it's something urgent but then i need the original with their original signature sent to me in order to be hipaa compliant information and security risks need to be delineated in your informed consent don't get too technical this will freak people out or frustrate them at the very least Letting them know what are the chances that their information could get compromised. What HIPAA standards do you use to protect information from being uh, hacked or compromised in any way? What are your methods for protecting privacy at your office, as well as what should they do to enhance their protection of privacy? So if you have a home office, for example, um, I would strongly suggest using a dedicated computer so there is no chance of anyone else getting on and your profile being up and them being able to access clinical information. That is my, I strongly, strongly suggest that. But um, if somebody is working on a you know, computer that they have and they share with two other roommates and they're participating in counseling, yes, they have their own profile, but if they forget to log off, their roommates may see that. If somebody chooses to try to get into their profile and is successful, they may be able to see what's in the cache, what's in the history. So if they really want to protect their privacy, let them know about how to clear their cache and delete their recent history in their browser. So there's a lot of stuff that we've already talked about that you need to consider. And when we talk about ethics in online counseling, I said there were certain unique things to online counseling. And they're more or less unique. Obviously, um, if you're having uh, providing online counseling and you have a home office, you need to make sure that wherever you provide that is HIPAA compliant. You don't want a child or a spouse or a roommate walking behind you while you're doing a video chat session or even a text chat session with a client. You need to make sure that nobody can read your screen or see it. Um, but you also want to talk about things like handling disinhibition. And online, people tend to say things and do things and react more strongly than they might in 
face-to-face situations. So making sure that you're very clear with your clients from the outset about how you handle um, suicidal threats. And if they are suicidal, what they need to do, or homicidal, uh, what they need to do. Because sending you, like I said, sending you an email that says, oh, by the way, doc, I'm suicidal, you may not get that for 12 or 18 hours or something if you have a really busy day. And by then, the ship's probably sailed. So if they feel suicidal, what do they need to do? And many online clinicians have a policy that if somebody is chronically suicidal, that they will discontinue online services and require face-to-face services. If your client is not in your location, that means you'll need to refer to somebody in their location. Ideally, you want to make sure that there is some face-to-face counselor that your clients can access in the event that online counseling is not going to work for them or they need a face-to-face appointment right now for some reason. Psychology Today is a good place to start. What I do is when I've got clients in other cities, other locations, we talk about this at the beginning. I go on to Psychology Today, you know, identify the five or ten that are in their area, and I have the clients look through Uh, the people that are available and choose someone that they will use call and make sure that they can get set up if they need to and I will call the practitioner that they choose with a release of information obviously um, and let them know that I'm doing counseling with somebody in their area and would they be open to being a backup we have that release of information already so if the client is in crisis then I would be able to transmit any PHI necessary for that clinician to provide face-to-face services. Let clients know ahead of time how you handle flaming. If they become exceedingly belligerent, they start screaming at you in all caps excessively. I mean, people get upset, so let them scream every once in a while. But if they are being just, if they're acting in a way that you would not tolerate in a face-to-face session, don't let them do it online. So there needs to be there need to be policies for how you're going to handle flaming in individual sessions as well as in group sessions. And how do you handle repeated calls, texts, or emails? If somebody's having a bad day, you know, they may call or text. This is true in in face-to-face counseling as well. They may call you when the office opens at nine o'clock and leave a message. Well, if you've got an a client at nine o'clock you're already in session you may not get that call until after you get out of session if they've already called six more times we need to talk about how effective that really is so what are your policies for repeated calls texts and emails what is your policy for response to calls texts and emails let them know you'll respond within two hours four hours whatever works for you Business aspects. When you choose a virtual office, it's important to know exactly what you're talking about. There are virtual offices that allow you to do online counseling, take payments, um, secure text chat, secure email. They've got everything in there. And it is a counseling office. Where a web presence is when you have a website that has like four pages, it's not interactive, or if it is, maybe it has a scheduling calendar on it, but that's it. You're not doing online counseling through it. It's just a web presence that says, hey, here I am. Know what you're getting. There are a lot of sites out there like 
right now, one of them that I see coming up on uh, advertisements often is Wix.com. Wix.com is a web presence. It is not a virtual office. If all you want is a web presence, it might be really useful. Um, I can't say that I've ever been into their website, so I can't tell you um, how easy it is to construct a uh, simple HTML website through them. Do you want to partner with someone else or be independent? There are a lot of, quote, online practices out there who have already done a lot of the back end for getting the HIPAA compliance and all that kind of stuff. So they provide you with the ability to do HIPAA secure video, HIPAA secure email. They provide you the ability to do your billing. Everything that you would need and the stuff we've talked about right up until now, they've already handled. So you're going in there and you're doing the counseling part. The downside is they generally take a pretty hefty chunk of your fees. Oftentimes it's around 40%. Um, when you look at advertising and marketing, the practice that's already in existence where all you're doing is providing your professional skills um, is probably going to do a lot of advertising and marketing too. That doesn't mean you can't bring in your own people. If one of the things you hate doing is advertising and marketing, that might, again, be another reason to consider joining an existing online practice. Possible features that you want to think about for your website or if you're evaluating different online practices. What does their web presence look like? If you Google online counseling, do they come up anywhere on the first page? If not, you may want to look elsewhere. Um, do they have an interactive online appointment book where people can set their appointments with you and then show up? Or do people have to call? A lot of people, if they're looking for online counseling, don't want to have to call. They want to do everything virtually. Are there fillable assessment and intake forms that the client can complete their fillable PDFs, they hit send, it gets emailed securely to you, so you have that documentation in your hands prior to or um, immediately after the assessment is finished? Do they offer secure IM text chat, embedded or downloadable? So sometimes you can do secure IM or text chat, but they have to download an application onto their computer or onto their mobile device. For younger people, that doesn't seem to be nearly as much of an issue. For people that are older, um, you know, who were born back more like in the 70s, downloading stuff can be overwhelming. Um, and they can feel a little bit out of their element if they have to download something. So it's better if you're planning on targeting a market that is, you know, older, making sure that it uh, is already embedded on your website. They don't have to download anything. They just have to go to a page and log in. Make sure you have access to secure email. Even if you're not emailing assignments, there are going to be times when you may want to contact your client through email, and secure email is the only way to go. Secure video chat. Again, embedded or downloadable. If people have to download an application, a lot... A lot of people are getting used to it, um, so it's not as big of a deal. But if you can embed it on a web page, you're going to make it super ultra easy for even the most beginning computer user. And do you have the ability to offer instant services? Um, one online practice that, that I know of, clinicians, if they don't have any other appointments going, can just be online 
and people who come to the website can click on them and get an instant um, session with them right then and there instead of having to make an appointment that's 24 hours in advance and yada 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 if you're not the type of person who likes just being available and taking walk-ins if you will then that might not be important for you but online again people are really um, used to getting immediate gratification so if they're looking for a counselor online and you are there and you're available right then you stand a much greater chance of getting them to become a patient converting them to a patient than you do if you make them make an appointment that's 24 or 48 hours out how much to charge if you join a existing practice they may have rates set up already if you are doing creating your own practice that's up to you some people charge as much as they would charge in a face-to-face -face setting others base their rates on what they're going to be able to get from insurance for that and others just seem to randomly pick a number so that's like anything in private practice is going to be up to you making a place in cyberspace with your marketing whether you're with a group practice or working on your own you will need to do some of your own marketing a lot of clinicians will use Instagram accounts to create um, infographics that people can use that people can share that can get their name out there Instagram and Pinterest are very popular places for people to visit so if you're working with people maybe you focus specifically on postpartum depression and you have a board on Pinterest of some of the best postpartum depression resources you're probably going to get a fair amount of traffic from Pinterest to your private practice so think about ways that you can enhance your website make sure that you're getting your name out there to people where you, where you want to provide services HTML versus blog or CMS there are a lot of different ways to create a website if you're looking to create one that you can update on the fly and most no the majority of websites that I'm familiar with are blogs um, they may be fancy blogs but they're blogs because it enables you to provide new current information on the fly you can type up a brief blog post in your email or on your mobile device and email it to yourself and then at a special address and it automatically posts to your blog so it's not like you have to be sitting at your computer and log into something and go through this big procedure make sure the colors on your website are friendly and not too glaring not something that's going to hurt somebody's eyes and make sure you look and and prevent it being overcrowded or underwhelming sometimes people err on the side of not putting enough information out there so clients will go to the website and they see like three pictures but there's no words and the three pictures aren't quite enough to communicate what you offer what they need to do think of your landing page as your lobby this is what people see when they first quote walk in to your website or to your practice what are you communicating to them and then find a niche it's the same in cyberspace as it is in real life there's probably going to be you know hundreds of clinicians providing counseling for depression what makes you unique what makes you special um, and why would they want to come to you as opposed to those other 99 
When we think about online, we also have to consider the impact of social networking because most of us are involved in social networking. Keep your personal social networks separate from your clinical or practice network. So if you have a Facebook page for your business, which is a good idea, keep it separate from your personal account and your personal posts and stuff. Um, add clients only to your clinical network if you have one. So if you have a separate Facebook account or Instagram account or Pinterest account for just your practice that's what you would add patients to you don't want to be adding them to your personal uh, Facebook accounts and know whatever you say even if it's not on your clinical websites on your clinical in, um, Instagram feed whatever if it's out there on the internet whatever you say can possibly be seen and interpreted personally by a client so be very very careful about what you say and how you say it and for your personal stuff it's recommended that you really lock it down with security so only your identified friends can see and comment on it. Online therapy is becoming increasingly mainstream. There are many advantages such as convenience, cost-effectiveness, and accessibility. Things to consider when choosing an office are your particular skill set, are you good with computers, your target population, and how much you want to spend. Building an online practice is no faster than a face-to-face -face one, but there are things you can do to speed up the process, such as joining an existing online practice and having an active presence on the internet, such as Instagram and or Pinterest. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe either in your podcast player or on YouTube. You can attend and participate in our live webinars with Dr. Snipes by subscribing at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. This episode has been brought to you in part by allceus.com, providing 24-7 multimedia continuing education and pre-certification training to counselors, therapists, and nurses since 2006. Use coupon code counselor toolbox to get a 20% discount off your order this month.